This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and joining me this evening is Mr. Matt Caraccio. Matt, welcome back. Tear Buster series continues. The 2020 running back class is up next. Yeah, Paul. I mean, you know, this is, you know, this was supposed to be one of the one of the hallmarks of this draft class, right? I mean, this was supposed to be the draft class to end all draft classes when it came to the wide receiver position and the running back position where all the names flying around the Najee Harris's as well as the, you know, Chuba Hubbards and all those gentlemen. And and you know what? And it was supposed to be the draft class to end all draft classes. But a lot of those guys end up going back to school. And as you began to pull back the layers and, and look at some players that were available, I, I think there were a lot of surprises. But I also think there's uh, not a lot of depth here. I, I think that in terms of being the class to end all classes, I think we're going to fall short of that. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think the return to school of Travis Etienne, Najee Harris, and Chubba Hubbard, you basically took away three top 100 running backs. That's a lot when you think about it. there's not a lot of running backs that go in the top 100 of any draft class. I think Travis Etienne was squarely in the top 40, top 50 mix. And I think Najee Harris and Chubba Hubbard both come off the board before the top 100. And if they're in this draft class, I think we're talking about this going, you know, eight or so deep of guys that were locked in, 100% locked in to go top 100. And then you have eight running backs potentially going in the top 100. Well, that makes it a great class. I think with those three guys returning to school, I think it's a good class. I think there's probably five guys or so that I feel are going to go in the top 100. So I still think it's a good class. But I don't think we have any of, you know, we're going to get into it. I don't think we have any of the, the top tier guys. And we might have, we have tier one guys, but I'm talking about, we don't have, I don't think anybody in consideration for top five or top 10. We don't have the Christian McCaffrey's. We don't have the Ezekiel Elliott's. We don't have the Saquon Barkley's. We have guys who are in the Josh Jacobs realm of talent. And we have guys that are going to go round one and in the top 100. And then we have a lot of guys who I think are committee guys role players, maybe starters in in the right scheme, probably as part of a committee. And then we have backups and depth guys. And we have specialization guys who are going to be talked about tonight as well. You know, guys who could have a, an impact at the NFL level, but maybe never have a fantasy impact because they're just bit players that have a real NFL value, but not a, you know, enough touches to be a consistent fantasy weapon. So it was hurt by the guys going back to school, but it, but it's a fun class to break down because after the top handful of guys, I think it's a lot of what are you looking for and what do you see? Are you looking for the power back, the inside runner to maybe complement more of a space player? Are you looking for the space player, the home run threat? Because we have a handful of them in this class. Are you looking for the guy who can be an effective third down receiving back? Are you looking for a guy who adds some return value to the game? So after the top handful of guys, I don't think there's much clarity in terms of how NFL teams are going to value guys, how they're going to come off the board on draft night and what the fantasy impact down the line might be of these guys. Cause I think it's going to be so situational based. So, so much opportunity based after the handful of 
first couple of guys. And I think it's really going to depend a lot upon what role the NFL teams envision for these guys. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't disagree. I mean, I think that's a really like pretty measured assessment. I, I don't think that we're going to walk away from this class looking at this as an abject failure. Don't get me wrong, but I, I don't think we're looking at a class that touted the Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara's and the Leonard Fournette. I mean, guys that we saw that were impactful players, maybe from day one, although I do think that there are some that are going to be there, but I, I think to your point, I think, I think also that this is kind of a Rorschach test on the league itself in terms of the position. I don't think we're really working with a stable of, you know, I don't think we're working with a singular running back anymore. I think those are, are, are as we've said over the last several years, are falling by the wayside. I think this is a stable of running backs that you're trying to produce, a, just like you're trying to produce a stable of wide receivers. And again, like you said, it depends on, you know, everybody's, you know, everybody's love is going to be kind of, described differently depending upon what you're looking for in your particular offense. I do think the guys that are at the top, I do think the guys that are up the top of this particular class, I think are very intriguing, um, both in the short and long term for potential value. And I do think that, you know, the first, you know, couple tiers or three tiers or so are, are, are very interesting. So I'm just excited to kind of get into this because I think that there's, there's so much to, to kind of tease out a little bit in terms of, you know, where we thought these guys are, what we think of them now, where we think they fit. And Paul, why don't you take us through what that first kind of tier looks like? Because man alive, it's it's been a struggle for me to kind of even begin to tier these guys. I just have like everybody in tier one because like, I'm just like, you know, there 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 is that type of cluster in this in this particular class towards the top. Yeah, I mean, I almost feel like I want to spread the uh, the Google spreadsheet and kind of just merge the tier one and their tier two because I don't think there's a lot of differentiation between them. You know, our tiers that we created, again, for people who maybe are just listening for the first time, it's part draft, you know, value, uh, fantasy value, uh, what we think their NFL role and immediate success are going to be. So it's these tiers are handcrafted to Saturday to Sunday. You hear people throw out, oh, this is my first tier. But our tiers kind of bring in a lot of different facets that make these up. So they're a little unique in its own right. So tier one for us is guys that we consider potential round one NFL draft selections, top six dynasty rookie picks, Day one starters, many traits are above average with at least one being rare to elite. These players can and should be the focal point of the running game with the ability to contribute in the passing game. That is what we consider a tier one running back. So I'll kick this off, Matt, because my tier is pretty small. I And I, I could see a couple of my guys in tier two being included in tier one. But right now, my tier one is made up of two players. It's my top two running backs in this class, and that's DeAndre Swift out of Georgia and J.K. Dobbins out of Ohio State. I think neither of these guys are guys that I think are top 10 or top 15. I think these are guys that if they go round one, we're talking in the you know the 20 to 32 range. And I wouldn't even be surprised if we have zero running backs in round one. I don't think that's off the table, to be frankly honest with you. But DeAndre Swift and J.K. Dobbins are, I think, the guys – that offer the most dual threat versatility as can be a focal point of the run game, but also be a bit major part of the receiving game as well. They have years of production in college. They have shown their ability 
to be impressive runners and impact the passing game. You know, DeAndre Swift, you know, I know there's been some talk about people worrying about his athleticism, his long speed. Okay, even if his long speed is average to above average, his his short area quickness, his elusiveness, his cutting ability. I love how he varies his tempo and his speed at different times and takes good pursuit angles in terms of the angles that he's going to attack the defense. I love his pass catching ability. I think it actually was underutilized at Georgia. And then in terms of J.K. Dobbins, I think we saw him this year take the next step. I think he's got that burst and acceleration. He's got the play strength. He can he can absorb contact, run through contact, break tackles. But he's got he's got some home run threat ability to him as well. He's he can impact in the passing game. I know he had some drops in that last time we saw him against Clemson. I think at the combine it's important for him to clear clean that up a little bit. But I still think he can be a weapon in the passing game as well. And those are the two guys that right now sit in tier one for me. Yeah, my, my tier one goes a little bit deeper. And I, you know, I think it's really because for me, you know, our tiers, I think, again, as we've said before, this is our framework for thinking about these players. And while I don't expect these guys all to go in round one, I mean, heck, none of them could go in round one, as you said previously. I still think that these players have that skill set that you could see a team leaning on. And in which case they become the type of focal point back that we're looking for when we start building dynasty teams or building fantasy teams. I think these players do have that skill set right now. And, and, and really I already have the first two guys you mentioned, which is Deandre Swift and JK Dobbins, but I'm also adding in there, of course, my, my, my heartthrob Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And I'm also adding in Jonathan Taylor as well. I, I was poised at one point to even add in Zach Moss and Cam Akers. They actually make up my tier two. Um, I actually put out a tweet where I initially had them in my tier one, but I felt like after reviewing the actual tiers again, maybe that was a little overzealous. So as of right now, I have those four in my tier one. And, and, and you know what? If you guys wouldn't allow me just, just to make an argument, I think when it comes to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and why he belongs there, I, I think you're looking at a back that wins in a variety of ways. I think you're talking about an anticipatory runner that has a good feel for what's going to happen on the field. He has a good sense for what's happening between the tackles, outside the tackles. He showed a lot of versatility and variety in the way he can win within collisions. He can beat you to the point. He can mitigate contact. He can ride contact and spin off of it while still staying and accelerating and staying balanced. You know, a lot of these guys in that class, Paul, and even even DeAndre Swift included, I would think maybe J.K. Dobbins was one of the only ones. Um, even maybe Scotty Phillips, who we'll talk about, I'm sure, later. But Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was one of the few running backs that I've seen in a while, Paul, that had a legitimate spin move where they could control it. They can tempo it they could um control it in a variety of circumstances they didn't just do it they used it as a weapon as a way of taking an opportunity away from a defender and then capitalizing on that defender's error and Clyde Edwards Hilaire is a guy that I think that will be able to bring that to the NFL stage and I'm going to be honest with you Paul I'm I'm saying this right now and maybe some people may disagree I think Clyde Edwards Hilaire might be probably the best route runner of these running backs. And I, and I think that that alone is starting to show that it's very, very, is very valuable in this up-tempo NFL world, this uh, college plus world that we're living in. 
So I, I think Clyde Edwards Hilaire is gonna is gonna be a guy that you're gonna want to target, I think, early in your respective dynasty drafts. He may not go day one when it comes to the NFL draft, but I think he should go in the top five picks of your NFL of your rookie draft. Yeah, I mean, listen, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, obviously, you know, I'll mention I'll describe what tier two is in our tier breakdown. But Clyde Edwards Hilaire is is, is right there in with three or two other guys in my tier two. Everything you said about him, spot on. I don't disagree with a single thing. I think Clyde Edwards Hilaire basically resembles the modern day NFL running back in terms of winning in a variety of ways, the versatility. To me, he's literally like a clone if he was made in a factory of part Murray Jones Drew and part Darren Sproles. Like you literally merge those two guys together and Clyde Edwards Hilaire has been born. Because Can I give you one? Can I give you one? I yeah. like Brian Westbrook. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think Brian Edwards, I mean, Brian Westbrook maybe had a little bit more juice to him. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit a more. A little bit, fluid. though. Like, we're not talking like, we're not talking massive differential. I mean, stylistically, they can do everything inside, outside, receiving. That's yeah. what I'm really yeah. implying. A hundred percent. I can see that as well. You know, Claude Edwards Hilaire, his, his leg drive. His his power for a guy in his frame reminds me of Maurice Jones Drew. The leverage he runs with, low center of gravity, that re- and finishing even for a smaller guy reminds me of Maurice Jones Drew. The the stop and start ability, the cutting ability, the receiver like routes and precision in that separation quickness in his routes reminds me of Darren Sproles. And you mix it all together, and I think Clyde Edwards Hilaire is going to be. I don't think you know when Saquon Barkley came out. There was little doubt he was the number one running back prospect in the draft class. He It was going to be stunning if he wasn't the top fantasy producer in his draft class for the running back position. But in this class, I could say four names, all four of your guys, and I think even another guy could all be in the mix to be the best running back that comes out of this class. Could be the guy who produces the most right out of the gate based on opportunity. If Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is the number one running back from this class, no one should be all that surprised because he's a guy who can live in that 15 to 18 touch world and he can make them such impactful touches. So Clyde Edwards-Hilaire this year, it was a coming out party for him and it, it was it was great to see. And I think when you talked about his receiving ability, I don't think people realize just how impressive he is as a receiver and how much that's going to really stress defenses in terms of how much they're going to have to account for that. If he ends up in the right system that takes advantage of that, I think the sky is the limit for what how how impactful Clyde Edwards-Hilaire could be in just his first season. So I could see, yeah, you have him in tier one. Maybe he doesn't go in round one, but the impact and the building and the offense around – I can totally see why you have Clyde Edwards Hilaire there. And and I, I believe in his talent almost as much as you. Again, my tier one and tier two could have been merged to make one bigger tier, a little bit bigger, similar to you, because I think they well, are that close. Well, no, I think you did an excellent job. I, th- I think yours is very much draft-centric, draft-oriented, also dynasty-oriented in terms of the guys you would absolutely take in the top two or three. I think I'm trying to I think I think I was trying to craft a little bit more of a tier that accounted a little bit for dyna- for draft capital but maybe was leaning more towards the guy at the end of the year you're going to wish you had on the team and that's who I was kind of thinking of in terms of those impact players but but Paul you you already alluded to it Paul 
And I'm going to, I'm going to, you, you kind of, I don't know if anybody heard him float out there the tease of the player that could be the best in this class, but yet is not in either one of our tier twos. Paul, why don't you give us a breakdown? Uh, not in either one of our tier ones. Paul, why don't you give us a breakdown of what tier two is and, and, and reveal the mystery singer? <laughs> Who is the masked singer? Absolutely. So tier two for us is guys that we think are round two to mid round three selections in the NFL draft. So they could go as early as day two, you know, pick 40, pick 35 or somewhere for middle of third round. So we think these guys are top 75 picks, basically locked in. We think they're mid round one. Uh, to early round two dynasty rookie picks, obviously taking into account that opportunity and immediate landing spot could alter it and, and make a little bit of a wider range. We think they're a lead running back in the committee. Several traits are above average to good. These players can, should contribute immediately to the running game and have the capacity to contribute to the passing game. There are concerns about their ability to be a three down back. For me, my tier two is made up of Clyde Edwards Hilaire, who we just had a big conversation about. Uh, I think he will make an immediate impact. I I guess I'm a little bit more reserved about how much workload that I do think he's going to be a part of a committee at the next level. I don't see 20 to 22 you know, touches a game for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I'm not saying he couldn't handle it, but I think an NFL team is going to look at him and think, think they're going to get the most out of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire if he's in that 15 to 16 range. So I think there's going to have to be another guy. So maybe it's a 60-40 or 70-30. I don't think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, as much as I like his game, is going to be a guy that gets 80-90% of the, of the touch share in the backfield. Jonathan Taylor is in my tier two. I think he fits this perfectly. I think he is going to be a part of a committee because while he showed improvement in the passing game this year, I still think he's probably going to be attached in a backfield to another running back that is a little bit more of a third down pass catching type running back not saying Jonathan Taylor can't do it I think Jonathan Taylor you know Angelo fantasy a guy that we talked to a lot on Twitter he was talking about and we had conversations that Jonathan Taylor's receiving capability is very much like the Leonard Fournette he could do it he could he could handle check downs and screen passes and we started this year Leonard Fournette have a really great statistical year as a pass catcher but it wasn't running routes it wasn't lining up in the slot it wasn't you know running wheel routes it wasn't running wide receiver routes that's what Jonathan Taylor showed this year he can be a factor in the screen game he can be a factor you know you know on little quick outs he can be factors you know as a check down option because of his athleticism and his speed but i do think he's going to be attached to another guy. So maybe it's a 60-40, a 70-30. I could see Jonathan Taylor being a little bit more a part of a committee and having someone else complimenting him that's a little bit more natural of a route runner, a pass catcher out of the backfield. And then my final guy in tier two, and this is the guy we've been alluding to, Cam Akers. He was one of Matt and I's favorite running back prospects over the last couple of years. Florida State did him no favors. You look at Cam Akers' statistics, even at times when you look at his film, there's things to be down upon because he was trying to do so much in that Florida State offense with a horrendous offensive line, poor coaching, poor quarterback play, a lack of top-end playmakers at the wide receiver position besides Tamari and Terry, who I think is a big-time player who we'll be talking about next year at this time. So, But Cam Akers, when you – take away and, and and look at the context of what he was working with. 
This is a guy that has the size, that has the frame, that has the athleticism, has the pass-catching ability. Cam Akers, to me, is not all that different than DeAndre Swift and J.K. Dobbins. And if he has a big pre-draft process, I don't think it is crazy to think he can push his way back into the mix of being talked about the same way as J.K. Dobbins or DeAndre Swift. And if he doesn't get up there in terms of draft capital, I still think he's going to have enough draft stock and capital to him that I would not be the least bit surprised if Cam Akers is the best running back in two or three years from this draft class. That's how talented he is. And I think the NFL is going to be impressed with him in the pre-draft process. I think the combine is going to generate some buzz. I think in the pre-draft process, the pro days and everything, he's going to generate some buzz. And I think, you know, people who look a lot of collegiate statistics, I think are, are probably a little down on Cam Akers, understandably. But the, the NFL is going to look at him and see his talent. And they're going to see a guy that maybe they draft to be a part of a committee. But I could see Cam Akers just pushing his way into being the lead guy that impacts the game on all three downs. Because that's what I see with Cam Akers. So if we go by the letter of our tiers, I think Cam Akers very much has the, the ability to be a tier one player. Because I think he could be a three down player. And he might even be able to handle a heavier workload than I think Clyde edwards Hilaire could handle. So I think that tier two, I could see any of those guys being just as good or if not better than the two guys I had in tier one. So that tier right there, I think all five of them go in the top 75 picks, maybe even the top 50 picks. And I think those guys are all going to be fantasy value is going to be very much dependent upon the immediate opportunity, the offense, and so many other factors. Who else is already there in the backfield? Uh, Because all five of those guys, I think the margin between all five of them, to be honest with you, is very small. Yeah, I think it's razor thin and, and just a little food for thought for all of you out there that follow the recruiting process that follow college football to the, to the letter of the law. Obviously, hopefully you're joining us each and every week because you know what? Honestly, Cam Akers coming out of high school, there's really only a couple players that had better, you know, Nike open kind of statistics than him in terms of their spark ratings. Nick Chubb had a slightly better spark score than Cam Akers. Nick Chubb did not run as fast in the 40, did not, he jumped actually just as high, and his power throw was a little bit longer. But all in all, if you looked at the Nike Open and Spark Combine statistics for Cam Akers and Nick Chubb, and you did kind of a blind taste test, so to speak, and you looked at their heights and their weights, um, Cam Akers was 5'11", 213, Nick Chubb was 5'11", 217. And they both had a spark rating of 140. One had 141. The other had 143. Cam Akers came in just slightly under Nick Chubb. Both of them ran under 4.5 in terms of their 40-yard dash. So Cam Akers coming in at 4.41, by the way. So, you know, Cam Akers is going to freaking blow up the combine. I I don't even think this is even a discussion. I mean, I think it's actually stupid to be talking about it because he's going to destroy the combine in every facet. He's going to light up the scoreboard. People are going to love him. People are going to have heartthrobs. Here, here's why Cam Akers lives in my tier two. I think Cam Akers is still learning the position. I think Cam Akers is still 
coming back from being a quarterback throughout his whole career in high school. Yes, he's played now running back at the highest of levels, but to Paul's point, it wasn't necessarily a representative sample of out of plays. He was looking at the the best an offense and a defense could throw at him. He was looking at literally everything on his shoulders, no favors being done for him. He was in a no-win situation in terms of development. I mean, I guess maybe we could argue in terms of development, the environments he was actually being thrown into were about as challenging as they could have been. So, I mean, I, I do think Cam Akers is still learning the position. There's things in his running style and movement patterns that show you that he's still kind of calibrating and sensing what's available, what options there are. He really is still learning the position, specifically when you look at it on outside runs and inside runs. I mean, listen, he he really still is a little, I don't want to say he's uncomfortable, but he's still learning how to manage collisions, collisions and how to manage them in terms of you know, being tackled in a head-up scenario versus indirect contact versus contact from various angles and and positions and how he's going to manage that and solve those problems. He's still developing in terms of being a receiver. He is certainly not the most refined receiver in this class. He's still learning that he could catch the football. What I think is really nice about Cam Akers that I think immediately gets him uh, like a foot on the field, his pass protection is unbelievable. If you watch Cam Akers play pass pro, because of his quarterback background, he knows exactly what gaps are coming. Like he knows where the blitzer's coming from, and he does a great job stalemating blitzers. I mean, he does a really good job. He just, he just literally anchors down and just literally collides with the actual linebacker or the blitzer. And I think that's something that NFL teams are going to love about his game. You don't have to teach this kid too much about pass pro. He knows how to pass pro. And I think that's going to immediately make him one of the most sought after backs in this class. I think that alone, Paul, is going to drive him far up in terms of teams' rankings. They're going to be like, man, he can, he can run inside and outside zone. All right, he's still learning, but his pass pro is sick, and we don't have anybody that can go all three downs. So um, let's get this guy. Like, I, I really think that's going to be the logic in some war rooms. We need a running back, and we need a guy that can be on all three downs in our up tempo offense. Cam Akers, here I come. I mean, I, I really think that that his pass pro is going to be what's going to be intriguing. I do have a player that's a little different than you in my second tier. Now, let um, me just jump yes, in yes, sure, about, about Cam Akers. Yeah. Uh, I love that you brought up the point that he's still learning the position because I do also think he has picked up some bad tendencies playing behind that offensive line at Florida state. Good point. I, I think he's got to learn the position a little bit more and put a little bit more trust into his blockers because when you watch him freshman year, I think the O-line was a little bit better and I saw him, the vision and the patience and waiting for his box to develop. I, I think you saw a little bit better, but then you watch his sophomore film and I thought he was very antsy at times in terms of not letting blocks develop, probably because he didn't believe that they might develop. So he tried to, he didn't have that patience that I think his skill set enables him. He's got such rare athleticism and bursts and acceleration 
to make up for that, that I think he has the ability and the capacity to wait an extra second, you know, and he, he needs to show that he needs to understand and have the trust of his offensive line. So, so patience is one of the things for him that I think is a developing area and even vision. I think vision is probably functional, but I think even that is inconsistent at times because I think he maybe is seeing something that's not there and he's not allowing and having the patience to wait for something else better in, in terms of what he might see if he just slows the process down a little bit. But I think he was so he want, he wanted to try to make something happen. And be, with that offensive line, so poor in front of him, I think he tried to constantly go hundred miles per hour and just try to make something and get something and didn't trust those blocks to develop and form a little bit. And that's going to take some time to, to learn as he learns the position. Like you said, he's still new to it. Maybe that had nothing to do with the offensive line and it's just him still learning the position. But I do think that's one area where he's got to show growth and improvement on. And I do think he can. No, and, and not to be later this point as we move on to the next player, but I do think that to your point, I think all of this kind of feeds one another. I think the being new to that position out of high school, also being behind a team that is really still kind of building and constructing and not really giving him clean looks. I think, you know, all that feeds into it. And, and I actually made a note similar to you. Um, I thought his, his film this previous year, he showed another kind of layer of development in terms of beginning to influence blockers. But I do not see, like you said earlier, I do not see the consistency. So moving along, you're going to hear about a player that I, I kind of have um, in the second tier that I'm, I'm actually surprised I, I loved. And, and let me just tell you this before I talk about this, and maybe it'll make more sense to everybody. I mean, you know, coming at this from that player problem solver paradigm kind of you know, lens. My, my goal is to try to find, I think, one of the most, one of the more skillful backs or a player that can solve a range of problems at the position. You know, while I want to see a player be functional, I also want to see them have the capability to adapt to various problems and various kind of emergent problems in, in a, in a, in an actual exposure. I want to see a player that can adapt as they play the game. And believe it or not, it's not always pretty. I don't think it's always pretty from a movement standpoint. I'm sure there's a, a, a somewhat of a, a good, I'm sure a biomechanist can get on here and tell me all the different joint angles that are wrong. But I'm going to tell you right now, I like Zach Moss. I said it, Paul. I said it. I said it. I like Zach Moss. I do. I do. Zach, I hope you hear me. I like you. I do. I think you're, I think you're a very, very skillful runner. I don't think that, I, I think that you, are a great runner both on the inside and the outside but what I think it is what's interesting about you is I think you do right now everything that Cam Akers does but I don't think you have the same ceiling as him I do think that his athleticism is probably a little bit better than yours and I I don't think that's a slight on you but I think you've maximized your ability I think you really have a good feel for what you can do both between the tackles and outside the tackles. I also think you're extremely good in collisions. You can reshape within tackles. You know how to find your power. You know how to find your leverage within collisions. You're not a guy who just sits there and takes it. You run with quote unquote tenacity. People talk about your visceral running style. I just think that's because you understand that collisions are another opportunity for you to gain yards for your team. And I think you're very good at doing that. This is like my homage to you. So, I mean, it is ironic, Paul, that this is the the month of love. I mean, it's almost Valentine's day. Zach Moss, I'm sending my Valentine to you. I think you're a very, very skillful runner. And I do think 
that you will make an NFL team better. I do think that you probably are destined to be part of a committee, but I do think you're destined to have a career in the NFL as a part of that committee. And I think you're going to do a team very nicely. So Zach Moss, you were surprised to me as I was doing all this. And I came away saying to myself, you could take Cam Akers if you want the ceiling. You could take Zach Moss if you need an NFL runner right now. Yeah, I mean, listen, Zach Moss seems to have a lot of backers in the draft Twitter community and maybe even more in more of the NFL community. Like Dane Brueger, very high on on Zach Moss. You know, other people in the industry, very high on Zach Moss. He's not in my tier two. He's in my tier three. I don't have him as high as you in the rankings. But when I hear you talk about him, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I think for me, maybe the overall upside and ceiling I agree. maybe maybe knocked him down a little bit. The durability, he's he's battled a lot of injuries. His play style of so so much physicality, his play mm-hmm. strength, his contact fidelity, he absorbs contact, he delivers punishment. I mean, his running style is fantastic. You watch him play and he's bouncing off guys and he's delivering punishment and he's got quick feet. I guess my concerns are are one, like I said, can that type of running style be sustainable at the next level in terms of his durability because he has battled some injuries? Number two, while he showed some growth and improvement this year in the passing game, is he a limited player in that regards? So he's not a guy who's probably going to impact too much in the passing game. I do think he's a little bit more inside runner than outside runner. I think he could occasionally kick it to the outside, but I do think he's more of an inside zone or an inside gap runner. So there's there's, there's components I like about him. I think he's more of a day three guy, a round four guy, but that but that's not a knock. I think we see guys in round four develop into starting running backs, you know, all the time, or at least part of part of a committee backfield. So so I like Zach Moss. He's in my third tier. I think he's probably eighth right now in my running back group. So I don't overall or something, but it's a coin flip with who I have at seven. So like I'm a little bit I'm a little bit further down on him than you are. But I agree with almost everything you said about his strengths, how he wins, his his running style. He's way more of a plug-and-play, like you talked about, than Cam Akers. Cam Akers is shooting for the home run. I think Zach Moss, you're getting a rock-solid double. I don't see a lot of paths to Zach Moss not at least being a solid part of a, of a running back committee at the next level and being a functional back who can be a starter, can can handle a 60 to 70% workload if needed, and could be a good productive NFL back at the next level. I think it's just the upside and the durability and the receiving component that maybe push him down a little bit more the board for myself and put him a little bit more in the mix with some other guys. Yeah, I mean, I mean, listen, I I can't disagree with that, and I and I won't really challenge the point. Let let it to say that if I were in a draft right now and I had to determine who I would take between you know Cam Akers and Zach Moss, and we were in a fantasy draft, I think in a dynasty style you'd be silly not to take Cam Akers. But I think if if you had to take a running back because you need a running back, I, I don't think you can do I don't think you can do terrible by taking Zach Moss. I just I think the fantasy play is Cam Akers. I think the reality play is you may. May end up taking Zach Moss over Cam Makers, depending upon where you are. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and think about it like this. And again, this is we could say this about every running back, but like the you know every everyone wants to know who the Chiefs might draft on day two, you know, or or even round four. Like if Damian Williams is a guy they envision as a part of a guy in that backfield for the long term, 
then maybe Zach Moss makes a lot more sense for a team like the Chiefs than Cam Akers because Damian Williams already offers that pass catching ability. You know what Damian Williams could offer, but maybe they've seen Damian Williams break down at times and he's never been a guy besides late in the season and, and the playoffs who's been able to handle a heavy workload. Well, maybe Zach Moss would be like the perfect complement there. You plug and play him immediately into that that position and him and Damian Williams make a one-two. Damian Williams, you know, a little bit more of the pass catcher, but can do a lot of different things. And, and it's not like Zach Moss can't catch the ball. So you have two versatile guys, maybe a little bit more specialized for Damian Williams in the passing game, but maybe more of the inside runner, the goal line runner. Maybe that's Zach Moss in a team like the Chiefs. And if that was to happen, then then his dynasty stock value, you know, skyrockets because of attaching himself to that offense. But I, that's just an example of why an NFL team might look at Zach Moss and say, based on what we have on the roster, based on what we immediately want out of this player, I think Zach Moss might be the better play than Cam Akers. But then if you look at a team like the Miami Dolphins and they're talking upside for years down the line, they're they're growing something that's going to take some time. Well, then I think a guy like Cam Akers makes more sense. You shoot for the higher ceiling there, you know, and, and you see what Cam Akers develops into because you're not looking for a plug and play guy right now. Cam Akers could have his ups and downs. He can, he can, he can struggle at times with his vision and his patience as he's developing and learning at the next level. So I think that's going to be fascinating, you know, to kind of see where those guys kind of go off the board and maybe what an NFL is kind of looking for. Yeah. No, take us to tier three, Paul. What, what does tier three look like when we really kind of break it down? Sure. So tier three are guys that we consider late round three. So maybe they sneak into the, the back of the top 100, but late round three or guys that we consider guys that are priorities early on day three. So round four picks, you know, everyone kind of goes home after the night, day two ends. And then I think the running backs is a lot of them sometimes that are sticking out like a sore thumb because running backs do tend to get pushed down. And then I think you see a little bit of a running back run sometimes in that round four. So that's what makes up in terms of our draft projection we think these are round two to mid round three dynasty rookie picks obviously opportunity and landing spot really carry the weight when it comes to fantasy we think they're a committee running back with some upside some traits are above average these players offer a competitive advantage advantage as runners or as pass catchers they these players could emerge into bigger roles of the backfield by the end of year one or year two so we think these guys have the upside to become a part of a committee backfield maybe not lead the committee but maybe work their way to a 50 50 maybe it's a 60 40 or 70 30 that they're on the you know they're on the lesser side by a little bit but we think these guys are guys that will be definitely in the the top of the rotation for the running backs and could emerge into starters, maybe even in the future, but a little bit, you know, take a little bit of time. Like we said, end of year one or year two. My tier three is 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 a pretty big tier because I do think there's a handful of guys that really, for me right now, I see it as about 14 guys in this draft class and then a big cutoff from my tier three to my tier four. In my tier three, I have A.J. Dillon out of Boston College. Big physical is going to run pretty well at the combine for a man his size at almost 240 pounds. Some movement skill issues that we talked about off air. We, we You mentioned on Twitter, he's, you know, he's not going to be a guy who's going to, you know, agility, change of direction, strong cuts, but a guy that if he gets ahead of steam, good straight line speed, good acceleration, you know, contact fidelity, power runner, finisher tough. Eno Benjamin out of Arizona State. Zach Moss, who we just talked about, 
I think, you know, Benjamin is an intriguing guy. He played when he checked in at the senior bowl, he was a lot less weight than what I thought he was. But to me, he's always reminded me of like a Kareem Hunt style, tough, physical, good speed, good pass catcher. None of those are like great or elite or anything like that. But I always thought he was above average to good in terms of his athleticism, his long speed, his burst and acceleration. I love his play strength. And then in this year, he even showed better in his receiving capabilities. But if he's 195, I think, you know, that's going to impact the way NFL teams, I think, look at him in terms of what type of workload he can maybe carry. Zach Moss, who we just talked about. Anthony McFarland out of Maryland. This is a guy I was really a fan of when I watched him in the summer. He battled some injuries this year. So I think that held him back. But when he was healthy, at times this year you saw it. And if you go back to his 2018 film, really impressive with Anthony McFarland. He reminds me so much of Darrell Henderson, his big playability, his bursts, his long speed, his acceleration. I think he's got good play strength. I I would like to see more in the passing game, but I'm a fan of Anthony McFarland. Keyshawn Vaughn out of Vanderbilt, a little bit of a down year this past year. I think he's a guy who's pretty solid at everything, but I don't think he has that calling card. This year, he improved a little bit in terms of his pass catching ability. I think he's more of a guy who's going to be a check down or a screen guy, similar to what I said about Jonathan Taylor, but a good runner. This year, I don't want to hold too much against him. The Vanderbilt offense really struggled this year, and I think Keyshawn Vaughn was a little bit of a product of that based on his surroundings. I think he's a guy who can go late round three or in round four and be a part of a committee. LaMichael Pirine out of Florida. Most impressive thing about LaMichael Pirine is him showing the growth this year in terms of his pass-catching game. He showed the ability to play on all three downs as a guy who, who runs tough. He's got better long speed than I think people give him credit for. He's more athletic than I think people give him credit for. You see that burst and acceleration, but his play strength, his finishing ability, and now you combine that with his pass catching ability, I think P. Ryan's stock has been up, especially with the handful of guys that we talked about going back to school. Joshua Kelly out of UCLA, another really intriguing guy who can play on all three downs. I think he's perfect for today's NFL pass catcher, can work in the backfield, can use him outside, inside, he shows a lot of versatility to his game. And then my tier three ends with Antonio Gibson out of Memphis. I don't know if he belongs on this list or the running back tier show that we did last week. He's Mr. Versatile. He's a guy who's got like a wide receiver body, but he was listed at the senior bowl as a running back. But at the combine, he's with the wide receiver group. So maybe he doesn't belong in this. But in terms of his playmaking ability, in terms of his versatility, in terms of the role he could have at the next level, I didn't. I thought he belonged in this because I think he's an offensive weapon who's going to be in that late round three to round four mix, who's going to be used in a variety of ways. Big playability, his speed, his burst, his open field ability, his ability to run through contact at his size, and his versatility as a kick returner and a run and a receiver. I like Antonio Gibson, and then a guy I just got eyes on this past weekend, Javon Leak out of Maryland. I talked about Anthony McFarland already. Javon Leak out of Maryland. If you don't know who he is, guys, go watch some Javon Leak film because he is explosive. Home run threat every time he touches the ball. He has a small sample size, not a lot of wear and tear on his body, not a guy who I think is going to be a bell cow in any capacity, but he's not a small guy. I think he's like, you know, six feet, you know, like 205, I think, something like that. But he's got, he's got elite level type breakaway speed he's got the ability to be a difference maker 
outside zone runs, get him in the perimeter. I think he has a chance to really compliment another guy at the NFL level and be a big play ability waiting to happen on a regular time if he gets consistent touches. Yeah, I mean, I, I listen, you know what? I mean, you said a lot of really great things there. And, and if I kind of go through my tier, um, I have, again, I, I kind of group these very much like a group. So when you're looking at my tiers, I think there's some definitely a ton of, of movement that can happen here. Um, but I have Anthony McFarlane. I have Keyshawn Vaughn, Eno Benjamin, Scotty Phillips, LaMichael P. Ryan, A.J. Dillon, and Joshua Kelly to round it out. So there's my group. And um, of that group, I think that the, the, the person that I think is the most surprising or the one that I think we continue to forget about um, is Scotty Phillips. And, and I think Scotty Phillips is a player that, it, it, again, I think it was uh, Matt Waldman who said it, and and I agree with him wholeheartedly. I mean, if you if you really like elements of Clyde Edward Hilaire's game, then you've got to see a lot of Clyde Edward Hilaire's game in Scotty Phillips because I do. I mean, I agree with it. I mean, I think from an interior running style, outside running style, what he could do in terms of managing collisions, I think he's pretty solid, very much reminiscent of Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Um, he's just not the route runner, or the receiver that Clyde Edwards Hilaire is, in my opinion. I, I think that's what really kind of diminishes him in terms of his overall versatility. I don't think he really brings that total package that Clyde Edwards Hilaire brings. And I think in terms of collisions, I don't think he's as skillful in collisions as Clyde Edwards Hilaire is. But I think Scotty Phillips is a, is a player that if he ends up on the right team with the right opportunity, I can easily see him being part of a committee where he does seize a sizable role. Um, he has that, you know, that very much like Paul was saying earlier, those, those, you know, those, um, you know, those Darwin Thompson types of feels to all these players, these guys that are just these jitterbug type of running backs that have incredible agility, but also have the capability to kind of survive and, and mitigate, you know, contact within tackles. I think, that's the biggest thing that I tried to take to my process this year was, you know, what does it mean for a running back to be skillful? What is it that a guides a running back in terms of their behavior on the field? To me, their intentions are very simple, right? Their, their goal is to avoid contact, gain yards, and try to score points. And for them, you know, trying to get a first down is successful. Trying not to get tackled behind the line of scrimmage is successful. Getting a first down is successful. Getting a touchdown is successful. Um, those are things that they're trying to do. And I think they're trying to avoid contact. I don't think they want to get hit guys. I mean, like I think when there's no other opportunity or if they feel that that's an opportunity for them where they could win, that's when you see players like the, you know, the Marshawn Lynch's of the world. I don't think Marshawn Lynch meant to go out there necessarily always to hit guys. I think his, his intention was to try to gain yards. And if you got in my way and it was such that I think that my ability to make that cut was unavailable, then I know that I can win with that intentionality and leverage within collisions. And I think that when you look at players like AJ Dillon, for example, that's the type of player I see. I think AJ Dillon, I think, um, I think, you know, Jonathan Taylor, I think, uh, players like, uh, Zach Moss would be great compliments in, the Panthers to a guy like Christian McCaffrey. You know, I think those guys going to somewhere like the Carolina Panthers would be the perfect, you know, would be the perfect Robin to McCaffrey's Batman. You know, those guys could occupy the field at the same time and be very versatile in what they're trying to do. You can flex out McCaffrey into the slot while also keeping one of those guys in the backfield. And you can go two minute up tempo, not lose a receiver. And you can have an absolute dominant 
offense. So, I mean, you know, those guys are very intriguing to me. I think one more guy that I would point out is I do like Keyshawn Vaughn a little bit more. I mean, I can't disagree with you, Paul, on your assessment of him. I think it really was a down year, and to what degree that was a result of Vanderbilt or not, you know, we may never know. We know it all matters for sure, and we understand skill acquisition. It all matters. Um, But I think with Keyshawn Vaughn, I think the biggest thing that I like is I think when it comes to his contact fidelity and and what he can do in collisions, I think he's very, very good in in those respects. And I thought he was very functional both in interior and outside runs. To your point, Paul, he did a lot of everything, but he didn't have that calling card. And I would take it a step further and say I think that what he was able to do was more than just adequate. I think he was a player that was very sensitive on interior runs and outside runs. I think he showed the capacity to make cuts at various ranges of angles, both very acute and very obtuse angles. So he had a very wide range of cutting to reacceleration strategies in terms of the open field. I thought that was pretty good in that respect. And and one more comment on a guy like Eno Benjamin. For me, the reason why Eno Benjamin fell for me really a little bit into this tier three was because, like you said, I mean, you know, the thing about him is, is that uh, to what degree is there issues with his vision in between the tackles? To what degree is he sensitive to the way to set up blocks? To what degree um, is his physical capabilities um, inadequate to make cuts and and different types of uh, cutting strategies at different angles? To what degree is that all part of his game? I, I mean, I was looking for more growth in those areas, and to me, you know, I didn't see a lot of various cutting to reacceleration strategies. I saw a lot of control within the same types of speed cuts and power cuts, things that, you know, he was moving laterally. Um, but I didn't see a variety of solutions inside of those opportunities. So for me, you know, Eno Benjamin kind of showed a, a good runner, a solid runner. I think he's part of a committee. Um, but I don't know if he's a guy that's going to be able to adapt on the fly to every situation. So I, I really like this group. Um, I, I think there's so many players here. Anthony McFarlane for me is is honestly the guy I would go after in this tier. Um, he would be the guy, and Scotty Phillips would be the guy for me to go after. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think this tier is interesting. I don't think all of these guys go by the end of round four, so some will even fall a little bit further in the draft. And and to me, I really think there's a little bit of a cutoff right there. And I know you're still working through watching these backs, and so. You know, I went through and rewatched, you know, up until 31 or 32 or even 33 guys. And to be honest with you, when my tier four starts right now, I have 14 guys in my top three tiers. And then 15 through 33, there is a razor thin margin between who I have ranked at 15 and who I have ranked at 33. There really is. And I think that same margin is similar to what the NFL will see it as. They will see it as, what are you looking for? Because in my 15 to 30 parade, and I'll run through them and, and tell you what my tiers make up in a second. But in these t- in these 15 to 30 parade guys that I have ranked, you will have the, the power, the physical, the tough interior runners. That could be a serviceable guy, can fill in for a starter, can be a spot starter, can be a lesser part of a committee. You have the scat backs, the change of pace, third down type guys. You have the guys that are get them the ball in space, the playmakers, the return weapons. You have a little bit of everything and a little bit of every type of body type. So from 15 to 33, 
one team may look at it or one evaluator may look at somebody as 15 or 16 or 17. Someone else might look at, at him as, oh, he's 30 or 32 for me. And any way, any which way, because I don't think there's a lot of clear cut. I even think, you know, you can make the case that even some of the guys I had in my tier three maybe belong a little bit lower. But how I have it, I think there's very little margin and maybe the pre-draft process helps us sort some things out. Maybe the combine and the athletic testing helps us sort some things out between the stylistically and and statistically and, and, and type of player a little bit more. Maybe we see a little bit more out of a guy that we didn't know could have the pass catching capabilities, or maybe we see a bigger, more physical guy show a little bit more bursts and quickness and speed at the combine and get us a little bit more excited. So I do think that the pre-draft process might help sort these guys out a little bit but i think there's almost like mini groups inside of the rest of these rankings and it's really going to come down to what an nfl team is looking for so with that said tier four in general for us is made up of guys that we consider like i said round five or round six players we said we think they're draftable round three or round four dynasty rookie picks we think these guys can develop into lesser parts of a committee or be handcuffs to starting running backs they offer several solid traits. These players have a complementary skill set that could develop into a specialized role or a lesser part of a committee in the future and are capable of leading the backfield and maintaining the integrity of the offense if called upon due to injuries. That's our tier four. For me, my tier four is made up of Darrington Evans out of Appalachian State, DJ Dallas out of Miami, Michael Warren out of Cincinnati, Darius Anderson out of TCU, Jamichael Hasty out of Baylor, Scotty Phillips, who we talked about already out of Ole Miss, Savannah Ahmed out of Washington, J.J. Taylor out of Arizona, Reggie Corbin out of Illinois, Levante Bellamy out of Western Michigan, Patrick Taylor out of Memphis, and Rico Dowdle out of South Carolina. The ones I'm most excited about, Darrington Evans, to me, he could be in the next tier right below Javon Leak. I put him in this tier because it's Appalachian State. He didn't go up against the best of competition. So I'm holding a little bit of my excitement. But stylistically, everything I said about Javon Leak could also be mentioned with Darrington Evans in terms of the big play, home run threat, the long speed, the acceleration, the athleticism, the versatility to impact the game as a returner, a receiver, a runner. That's Darrington Evans. He's the one I'm most excited about. I like DJ Dallas and Michael Warren. I think those guys are tough, physical runners. I love DJ Dallas in pass protection. He ran a lot of wildcat, so he has good good vision to see the, the lanes and the openings. So I like DJ Dallas. I like Michael Warren. I think they're stylistically very similar to be a guy who can handle a heavy workload if asked upon, but probably will complement a, a starter or a guy who offers a little bit more in terms of their pass catching ability. But I can see DJ Dallas and Michael Warren being very productive backs at the NFL level if given an opportunity. Darius Anderson and Jamichael Hasty, they were both at the Senior Bowl. They're quicker than fast guys. They're guys who can be third down, change of pace, complementary pieces, can both impact the game in the pass catching ability. So both of those guys could be intriguing ads in round five or round six. Salvan Ahmed, I'm surprised he came out. He's a big play threat, but a little bit undersized. Not showed some growth this year in the past catching ability, but he's a guy who, again, we saw Miles Gaskin get pushed down the board. I have a feeling that's going to happen to Ahmed, even though there there were glimpses of him having that home run ability at the next level. J.J. Taylor, another guy quicker than fast, good cutting ability, could be a guy who could be a change of pace, third down type player. Reggie Corbin, I'm surprised at how much, how little love Reggie Corbin has gotten. He was at the Shrine game. He's not even invited to the Combine. 
I look at him and I see athleticism. I see burst. I see speed and acceleration. But there are there are components that I think teams are looking for that maybe they don't see in him that I see a little bit more in Reggie Corbin. So I'm kind of interested to see if he gains any momentum in the pre-draft process. Maybe a really good pro day can kind of turn things around. Levante Bellamy, he was at the Shrine game. He's another one of those guys. Big playability, the speed, the home run threat, the impact the game as a receiver, returner, or rusher. And then Patrick Taylor out of Memphis and Rico Dowdle out of South Carolina. Patrick Taylor, we didn't see much this year, injured. But, I mean, this is a guy who's like 6'3", 220 pounds. But he's pretty athletic for a man his size. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. So I'm interested to see if we see any positive health news on Patrick Taylor. He was originally supposed to be at the Senior Bowl. Then he was gone. I don't know if that was injury-related. So I'd like to see him do some stuff in the pre-draft process. And then Rico Dowdle out of South Carolina, another guy who can do a little bit of everything, be a solid, serviceable backup at the next level. I think I saw somewhere, I think it was a Lance Erlein comped him to a, a Wayne Gallman-type player. I think that's a good comp for him because he, he there's not one thing that's his trait, top trade or calling card, but I think he can be a good interior runner, occasionally kick it out side solid in pass protection solid in terms of impacting the game a little bit as a receiver so i like the wing gallman cop matt i know i threw out a lot there is there a few names one or two guys that i just mentioned in tier four that excite you a little bit in terms of that you want to watch some more film on or you've just nope. seen in passing no the the immediate guys that jumped out to me that i have in my tier four um that i, I really like i mean i have javon leak i think javon leak that you already covered him in the last year he he heads up my tier four so his automatic um in my mind his his ability to just break the big play and be an immediate change uh change of scoreboard player as i would like to put it a guy who can just change the score immediately he's that type of guy but i liked what you talked about with reggie corbin michael warren and dj dallas because i have those guys in there as well those are guys that i've had um eyes on through various games throughout the year and i think they're phenomenal runners specifically reggie corbin i i agree with you paul i'm not sure why i mean from our preseason analysis of Reggie Corbin and what he was able to do at Illinois, I mean, I thought Reggie Corbin was a more than uh, functional back in many areas of his game, both inside and outside as a runner. And, and I just can't understand, you know, why he's not getting that love. Um, but that being said, I, I think even in Tier 4, you have guys that are going to immediately, you know, help an NFL roster out. And specifically, like I said, the, the, the player that I'm most excited about, who you talked about in uh, Tier 3 already, uh, is Javon Leak. Yeah, I mean, his his speed and big playability. And like I said, Darrington Evans is another guy very similar to Javon Leak that I'm excited to to see a little bit more of Darrington Evans because I think he could be a guy that really could complement, you know, another a backfield and really offer some explosion as well. And then to round it out, Tier 5 for us are guys that we consider – Late round draft picks, so round seven or priority free agents or UDFAs. We think these are, you know, in terms of the, the dynasty aspect, late round or watch list dynasty rookie picks. We think these are depth, you know, at the bottom of the depth chart or practice squad players. Some solid traits can stabilize the backfield in the case of an emergency, but are not long term starting solutions. And this also could include some players with, that we have limited exposures to make a full, true determination on. So for me, my tier five is made up of uh, a handful of guys. It starts with Xavier Jones out of SMU, a guy who, again, quicker than fast, but good cutting ability, good change of direction, got some elusiveness for, I think he's like 
you know, 205 pounds. He runs pretty tough, you know, good finishing ability for his size. Was pretty, was really productive this year for SMU. I think, you know, in a spread offense, he can be a guy who could be a serviceable back and, and impact the game in, in, in some ways. Tavion Feaster, uh, South Carolina, we've talked about him. I was kind of hoping to see more out of Tavion Feaster this year. He transferred to South Carolina. I think he's got that straight line speed, not a lot of wiggle. But I was hoping to see more to Tavian Feaster because I did like when he was at Clemson. I thought there were glimpses of him being a, a guy who had a future and a productive future at the NFL level. James Robinson out of Illinois State, he was one of the stars of the Shrine game. And another guy who him and Benny LeMay were both down at the Shrine game and Tony Jones up thrown to the mix there. All very similar players. Interior runners, strong Physical, good play strength, can push the pile, some quickness to, you know, if they get to the next level, but they're not going to be guys who are going to be outside runners. They're mostly interior runners, you know, need time to build up their speed. They're not going to be guys that take a lot to the house, but they could be serviceable players. And they're down here at the bottom of my tier five. But, you know, I think you can interchange them with some of my guys in tier four. And like I said, if I have some of the, the guys that I think have some more of the speed component in tier four. But if you're looking for just a solid backup running back, a grinder with good play strength, James Robinson, Benny LeMay, and Tony Jones may be your guys. And then to round it out, I have Adrian Killens Jr. out of UCF and Jawan Washington out of San Diego State. Jawan Washington had a productive junior year, not so productive this year, but he's another guy – Cutting ability, quickness, make people miss in the open field, but he's small. Adrian Killens is really small, but he's got electric speed, that stop and start acceleration, and that cutting ability. He was at the Shrine game. So these are some more really undersized type guys, but offer that change of direction, that cutting ability, that maybe they can be a, a, a bit player and a space player at the next level. And if they land with the right team, they can maybe maximize their their talents and they can occasionally have a big play for you yeah i mean I, I don't really have much to add i had in my tier five i only had james robinson from illinois state who i had a chance to watch on that all-star circuit i think he really looked great um in the all-star games and as well as benny lemay i thought they were very interesting and intriguing i enjoyed watching them um still a lot more work to do on them i i don't really know where they fit on the grand scheme of things. And thanks for bringing up a player that I missed out on tier four that I had listed, which was Tavian Feaster. I do like Tavian Feaster probably more than most people, because again, going back to his Clemson days, like you said, I was expecting more after the transfer. Um, but again, you know, there were reports that he was a very positive back that he was doing well in practices and, and, and for whatever weight that carries moving forward, I, I do think he's going to be a guy that'll stabilize a backfield. You know, if there's an injury, I think you can depend upon him to run a variety of schemes. So I think he has that, that, um, that versatility that teams are looking for in terms of his running style that'll allow him to find a roster. Um, I, I think Paul, I mean, we always do this and, and it's, I think it's a really good exercise in terms of understanding the class and maybe understanding value of players. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of ask you a question. Okay. We're going to, we're going to play, we're going to play Jerry Judy or, okay. So Jerry Judy or Deandre Swift. What are you doing, Paul? In the dynasty? Yeah. Let's say dynasty. Let's say it's a dynasty draft, non super flex, um, you know, start two or three running backs, start two or three wide receivers. What are you doing? Yeah, Do you, I mean, I Jerry think, Judy I, or DeAndre Swift. I think right now I'm taking the running back, but I think it's very much dependent upon opportunity and immediate 
opportunity in that regards. If I felt like DeAndre Swift wasn't going to make an immediate impact, I would probably hedge to the wide receiver. But I think right now I'd probably, I just think the depth of wide receiver in fantasy right now is staggering and not just this rookie class. I'm just talking about in general, you know, so I think still getting a guy who could be a potential top 12 or top 15 running back, I'd lean that way. All right, so let's do this one. Ready? Okay. So let me change the game now because you're, you, I see where this is going. This is going to go nowhere. So I'm going to change the game for a second. So let's let's do this. Ready? Let's take a guy like let's take a player that is from last year. That's a that's a running back right now, like a Devin Singletary. Okay. So let's say you have Devin Singletary. Okay, and you have the opportunity here to trade Devin Singletary for let's say a top rookie pick. Okay. Would you take the dynasty rookie one, one or Devin Singletary one, one by a lot one, two or Devin Singletary one, two. I, I'll, I'll, I'll say yeah, I yeah, will, get, get quickly to get there. That I will say that I will take any, if I could get my hands on any of the top five running backs in my top tier one or tier two, I will take them over Devin Singletary. So DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins, Jonathan Taylor, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Cam Akers. As, as I still have some reservations about Devin Singletary's long-term fantasy viability because of Josh Allen stealing a lot of touchdowns. Do they bring in another guy to compliment him? And he doesn't... If it's a receiving type guy, does he lose some receiving work? So I would take any of those top five running backs and okay. probably and probably somewhere between five to seven wide receivers. I would say Devin Singletary oh, probably okay. would be an early second round pick. So Devin, Devin Singletary has no chance. So let's give you one that may have a chance. Kenyon Drake. Oh, I'd probably I'm gonna, I'm say, push you. I'm gonna I'd, push. Prob- I'd probably say the same thing. I mean, we don't know. We don't know exactly Kenyon Drake's role yet next year. Is David Johnson officially off Arizona? Do Does Arizona make another investment? I mean, Kenyon Drake had a breakout final month and a half of the season, but I still think there's some long-term questions there. So I'd probably take the younger guys over him and hope that they end up in better situations and they're a couple years younger. Okay. So here's my last thing. What would be the asking price right now if you had to trade a player like, I'll give you an easy one, Darius Geis. Darius Geis, I, 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 right I know now, this, if we're going to talk rookie, I know this sounds out, this sounds like a cop out. It really does. But I would, I would, I would not. The three guys that you just picked, I think they're, I think their dynasty rookie trade value are all very similar. I think they are all guys that I would say I'd be okay trading an early second round rookie pick for any of those guys. But with five running backs that I am really a fan of in this class, I would take the five running backs. Again, if, they, if, if these guys go somewhere where the opportunity is years away, that, that'll change the narrative. But on talent alone and youth, I would choose the five running backs from this class and then probably somewhere between five to seven wide receivers. So I think you're talking about all three of the guys you just talked about, late round one to early round two value. I think that's where they, that's where I would value those guys. Somebody might see it differently. I think those guys are late round one to early round two value. I off, right now off the top of my head, I'd probably see somewhere around 12 to 13 guys that I would prefer over them right now. So I'd probably set their value at early, early round two. But I think some people probably okay. would be all right, higher all right. than that. So, so, and let's light the world on fire. Last one. 
AJ Brown costs what? AJ Brown should cost the the first pick in the rookie draft. Yeah, I'm agree. That, that's I'm what agree. I think. I think I think AJ Brown's trajectory is to be a top fifteen wide receiver. Top 15 to top 18 dynasty wide receiver. I mean, I wish I had up in front of me some ADP value, but my guess is he's already a top, he's already in dynasty rankings, maybe going top 15 to top 18. I would, you know, I think next year he'll probably be more like in the 22 to 25 range, I would say, for the season. So maybe he's a low wide receiver two to high wide receiver three next year. But when you take into account his age and his youth, I think he is on the trajectory to be a top 15 wide receiver. And if you know you're getting a top 15 wide receiver in Dynasty who's like 21 years old or 22 years old, I think it's hard not to say and, that. And who's, built, and who's built for the long haul. I yeah. mean, just physically what he does in the game, he's built for the long haul. This is not a guy who just relies on his speed. This is a guy who's a good, good player, route runner, good physical player at the catch point. He, he wins a variety of ways. Yeah, and I mean, think about it like this, like, if Saquon Barkley was in this class, I'd say, okay, then I'll trade, I'll take the 1.01 over AJ Brown, but we don't have a Saquon Barkley. We already talked about that this year. So yeah, the wide receiver position, I like those guys, but we got five guys that could all be the top running back. And I think that's a legitimate argument. So if, you know, so it, to pick one of those guys over AJ Brown, who we've already seen done it. And the same thing with the wide receivers. Yeah. Maybe Jerry Judy's ceiling is higher. Maybe CD Lamb's ceiling is higher, but at the same time, Maybe it's not. Maybe those now, guys. There's still a lot of dominoes that need to fall. You maybe, yeah. yeah. Maybe those guys are, maybe their ceiling is top 15 or 18 too in the dynasty wide receiver rankings. And AJ Brown's already there and he's already shown that he translated. So I think to, I think to give him away for that would be, would be silly if you believe that he's on the trajectory to be a top 15 or top 18, you know, dynasty wide receiver. I think he's got to be worth the first pick in the draft. So let me throw this back on you and little context needed, but I know we did it for the wide receivers and we've done it in the past. The answer is I'll trade everybody for Clyde Edwards Hilaire <laughs> or Brian Edwards. Give okay. me, give me, give me your snorkel scuba and submarine level running backs in terms of surface level a guy that you think is going to be better than people are giving him credit for and you kind of alluded to it as a tier two guy so maybe he's your snorkel guy but then give me a a little bit deeper in your scuba guy and then a submarine guy who you think could outperform expectations right now or maybe that you're still gonna hold on to your belief in those guys a little bit more than maybe what the consensus is out there yeah, I mean, my snorkel guy, I'm going to stay really, really high-level snorkel. I'm going to – I know this is kind of silly because he's probably very high for most people already. Um, but I'm going to go – my snorkel guy is going to be probably Zach Moss. I'll, I'll probably live there. Um, I do think that Zach Moss is a guy that I'm willing to take at the end of the first round in Dynasty rookie drafts. I think I might be able to, to grab him there and say, hey, you know what? If I need running back help, I'm willing to see where he ends up. And, and maybe he could be valuable and maybe he could be good. I think if I'm going to go scuba and maybe go a little deeper, again, we talked about that seismic kind of abysmic kind of like drop off when it came to the rankings if i'm going to go scuba i think i'm going to go scotty phillips i I think i like scotty phillips i'm going to see where he goes and and i'm willing to to kind of hold on to him and and see you know what materializes for him in terms of opportunity and if i'm going to go real deep deep down into the the kind of kind of recesses of no man's land 
Um, I, I think the player that I'm most excited for, um, we mentioned a lot over tonight, so he's probably maybe your scuba guy already, but I'm going to go with Javon Lee from Maryland. I'm going to stick there. Um, I, I think he's a player that has that home run ability that we're looking for, that immediate score changer, that game changer that we want. So those would be my guys. I, I, I think, Paul, I, I will end it with this. If there's two or three players I want to leave this draft with in terms of running back position, I can tell you right now, I would like to leave my draft with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I would like to leave my draft with Anthony McFarland, or I would like to leave my draft um, with Scotty Phillips. Those guys I would like to leave my draft with. And those guys to me are not guys that I think are going to go high. I'm purposely staying away from J.K. Dobbins, even though I love J.K. Dobbins. But those are three players that I would I would earmark as players I would like to leave my draft with. Yeah, I mean, I think those are, I think those are guys that are all very intriguing. Just to wrap it up on my end, for me, I would say my uh, snorkel level guy is A.J. Dillon. I understand the limitations and the flaws he has, but I also see a guy that could be while he's a little bit different than today's modern NFL running back. I think, I don't think he's the slow footed guy. That's something I think he's very much a James Conner style player, you know, in terms of his, his overall athleticism. I don't think he's as good of a receiver as James Conner, but I do think he could still be a weapon and, and be an impact at the next level. A little bit deeper for me, my scuba guys, I'm going to put both. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to put both Maryland running backs in there. Anthony McFarland and Javon. Uh, you can't do that. I, I left out Anthony McFarland because I had, to go into Javon League. No, 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 no. <laughs> you have to pick. You have to pick because then I get to take Anthony McFarland. You have to pick. <laughs> All right, I'm I'm going to say Anthony McFarland is my is my scumbag. scuba player. player. <laughs> this, is, this is where this is heresy. I'm I'm going to say Anthony McFarland. I still like him a little bit more in Javon League, but I think I think it's very much a coin flip with those guys. I think both of those guys are very intriguing players. And then I'm going to say for my submarine level. Uh, while I have him at the top of my tier four, I don't think Darrington Evans is getting a lot of talk right now. And I think he should be getting more talk. Cause like I said, if you like Javon Leak and you're excited about Javon Leak's overall play and bursts and speed and, and home run ability, I think Darrington Evans should also be someone that you're talking about a lot and intrigued by. And I think he could really make an impact at the next level in today's NFL with everything so spread out, it's why guys like McFarland and Leak and Evans excite me. And none of those guys might go in the top 100. They might be round four, round five, round six guys. And those guys excite me because in today's NFL, with more space than ever, with the spreads and the four wides, I think these guys are built for today's NFL because they don't need much of a crease and they could be gone. And they're not guys who are going to carry heavy, heavy workloads but I don't think they need heavy workloads. If you like Justice Hill last year, I think guys like McFarlane and Leak and Evans are right in that same alley and right in that same world of the impact that they could have if they get are given an opportunity. So I'm excited about those guys. Matt, this was an absolute blast. I know second one in the books. If you missed the last episode, guys, please go back and check out the wide receiver one. We talked about 35 different wide receivers, putting them into our five different tiers. Now the running back show is in the books. Uh, next week, we're going to try to do a little bit of a double header, um, probably separated in the two separate shows if possible, but we're going to try to bang out the quarterback and the tight end tier, hopefully next week. Obviously not nearly 
the depth of guys at the quarterback and the tight end position. You know, we're really talking about, you know, somewhere between 10 and 15 quarterbacks, you know, 10 to 15 tight ends uh, that really are, are worthy of, of breaking down right now and put in the tiers. So those combined basically add up to what we were working with here in running backs and wide receivers. And then after that, the following week, we'll be bringing you a combine preview and then wall-to-wall combine coverage uh, during the NFL combine. Matt, any final parting thoughts? No, I mean, I, as we end this running back show, I'll say this. I, I think that when you go into this year and you start thinking about this class, I, I think the thing that you'll see is there's a lot of versatility, but there's also different strokes for different folks. And there's a lot of players that if the situation lines up, that's really when the magic happens. So don't, don't be bamboozled or don't be kind of, um, don't be pushed off of your take. If you've done the time and you've put the film in, trust yourself, trust what, trust what you see, trust what you feel. Where those players go, what teams they end up on, what rosters they become a part of, those are really going to dictate the opportunities that fuel the opportunity to be a great fantasy impact player for you and your team. So don't don't move so fast to discount anything that you feel about a player. Let's let the process unfold. Absolutely, guys. And if you're enjoying these tier buster shows, we can't stress enough to go over to the website, SS Football or Saturday, the number two, SundayFootball.com. Check out our premium content tab, guys. For $9.99, you get access to four notebooks. You want all our thoughts on all these players we've been talking about in tier busters last week and this week? They're all there for you in the scouting notebook. Everything is split up now for the drafts, guys. Uh, we are, I believe it's almost. 90 guys now that we have full profiles on uh like 26 or 28 running backs right now over 32 wide receivers we're talking their strengths functional areas developing areas nfl role projection scheme fit uh fantasy spin that's just one notebook and you get everything it's fully updated now it's fully edited it's ready to go we might add i might add another few players here or there but for the most part that is is fully up to date now with our latest thoughts on those guys uh you get the rankings notebook which has we'll have our tiers we'll have our draft rankings we'll have our Debbie rankings we'll have our dynasty rookie rankings and then you still get two additional notebooks you get the freshman notebook late march to mid april uh, Matt's thoughts on a lot of the incoming freshmen. And then you get the draft projections notebook, which is how I expected to go on draft weekend from everything I'm hearing, reading, and listening to. Tabs for every player, offense and defense, uh, every position, I should say. Notes on over 400 players. Uh, tabs on who I think is going to go in the top 32, top 100, and, and my guess at who's going to be taken in every single pick in the NFL draft. Guys, we can't stress this enough. It is the best way to support the show and help us continue to do what we're doing. Any money that we make goes right back into the product, covering our expenses here Saturday to Sunday. So we never, we've never wanted to create a Patreon account. We want to give you something uh, for giving us your time and your money. Uh, so we really think you will, will enjoy these products. So hopefully you consider purchasing them again if you did it in the past or you check it out for the first time ever. If you have any questions, do not hesitate to reach out to Matt or I on Twitter. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.